How are we doing? All right, let's be honest. Who's tired? Yeah, it's been quite a fall, hasn't it? It's okay. God's going to refresh you this morning. Amen? All right. Well, I just want to jump in. We've been teaching through the book of John. So we're on John chapter 3. If you want to open your Bibles, um, we're going to listen in on a conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. And it's a really good conversation. We're going to get a, get a lot out of it. Um, <clears throat> and it's surprisingly applicable to us, I think we'll find. All right? So you can feel free to follow along with the notes. We're going to cover uh, the first 19, I'm sorry, the first 21 verses in chapter 3. And I think what I'll do, I think I'll read through them uh, just a few at a time and then stop and talk. And we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have a conversation about their conversation. How's that? All right, so let me begin just by, I just want to pray something. Lord, uh, some of this is so familiar and so basic that we, we can miss the impact, the, the depth of what you're saying here. And so, Lord, I just pray for you to give us revelation this morning in your word. Uh, Lord, that we would understand in the spirit <clears throat> what you have done what you have made available for us, uh, how big a deal this is, or that we would get this on a level we have not gotten this before. I just ask that you would help us, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> let's do the first couple of verses. <clears throat> Pardon me. First, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right, so let's get to know our first character a little bit, Nicodemus. Now, we read that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, that meant he went through a rigorous religious education. This guy knew the word, knew the law. Uh, he knew his stuff. He could teach at uh, Jewish seminary, okay? And the second thing is that he was a ruler. He actually was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, Israel, of course, was ruled by Rome, but they were allowed uh, some autonomy within Israel, uh, some rule. And so the ruling body, the governing body, would have been the Sanhedrin. It would have been 70 or 71 men. It was modeled after... Moses' 70 elders, and so he is one of these 70 or 71 guys that rules over Jerusalem and over Israel, so he's a pretty big deal. Got it? So he's not just a Pharisee, he's a Pharisee that is so excelled that he's been made a member of the Sanhedrin. <clears throat> Interesting to note that it would be the Sanhedrin later that would condemn Jesus to, well, they would condemn him, but they couldn't kill him because Rome wouldn't allow them to exercise capital punishment. So they would condemn him and turn him over to Rome to be crucified. This Sanhedrin that Nicodemus was a member of. We're going to see Nicodemus two more times, <clears throat> both in the book of John. In John chapter 7, uh, what's happened is the Sanhedrin has gathered and they want to talk to Jesus and they send some scribes out to round him up. And the scribes come back looking befuddled, and they're going, dude, where's Jesus? And the scribes say, you had to hear him. He just, he, he, he you know, we asked some questions. He gave us these mind-blowing answers. It's just, we couldn't bring him. We're sorry. You know, and so they immediately began to talk about, you know, what dorks these guys are and how, you know, Jesus is, is uh, not a big deal and he, uh, you know, is anything good come out of Nazareth and all that good stuff. And... Um, and it's at this point that we see Nicodemus who pipes up and says, hey, does our law judge a man before it has heard him? Now, this seems like a good point. And it seems like Nicodemus is being fair, and he probably is. He's going, now, wait a minute. We haven't even heard this guy. How are you guys reaching conclusions about him when we haven't even had him here to speak yet? Now, the response is they kind of shout Nicodemus down and said, you know, search the scriptures, 
the Messiah doesn't come out of Galilee, you know, basically Nicodemus sit down, shut up. So I want you to see <clears throat> that Nicodemus has a lot at stake here. He just dipped his toe in a little bit and said, hey, do we, does our law judge a man before he's being hurt? And he already gets shattered down. So uh, he's, he has a position, and for him to come out publicly for Jesus would have been a big deal, right? <clears throat> and it turns out uh, he never really does, or at least we don't know if he does. We really don't know the disposition of Nicodemus um, by the time, <coughs> pardon me, by the time uh, Jesus is crucified or after. Uh, but we have some hints. The other hint is in John 19. You remember at the end of John, uh, Jesus is crucified, and uh, they take him down from the cross, and Joseph of Arimathea comes. Now, he comes secretly because he fears the Jews. He comes secretly to Pilate and he says, hey, could I have the body and bury it? And we read in John 19 that Nicodemus shows up here also. Nicodemus comes with Joseph and brings all the spices and stuff to prepare the body. So Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea actually prepares Jesus' body for burial. So there's something going on here in Nicodemus, but it's still enough behind the scenes that it's hard to say, right? So that's pretty much all the story we have on Nicodemus. There's some tradition, uh, but there's nothing really firm on that, so you can believe what you want. Uh, you might as well make up something because lots of people do. All right, so, <clears throat> but what we do see here is that he comes to Jesus at night, and this is not a mystery. He's coming in secret because for him to express the statement he's getting ready to express publicly would probably cost him his Sanhedrinship and his Phariseeship, maybe, right? Uh, so he makes this statement. He says, I know that you're a teacher from God because of the signs you do, which is one of the things Jesus says several times later on. If you don't believe in me, believe because of the signs. Now, we just read in... John chapter 2, where Jesus cleansed the temple. You remember right when he got done cleansing the temple, he went into the temple and it says he performed signs. And so this has just happened. This is very early in Jesus' ministry. In fact, other than the wedding of Cana, it's probably the first time he's performed signs. Probably they're healings, but we don't know. It just says signs. Probably he's healed a bunch of people that <clears throat> miraculously, and uh, Nicodemus has seen this and concluded, you are a teacher come from God, right? Which is a good conclusion. Now, uh, he doesn't fully act on this, and this is a point that all of us will come to various times in our life, where we know what's true, we believe what's true, but then we have a decision how far in we're going to go in acting on that truth, correct? So Nicodemus decides, I'll have a conversation with Jesus, but I'll do it at night, now, <clears throat> Jesus responds in verses 3 and 4. And before we look at his response, I want you to consider this. Uh, Jesus' usual response to the Pharisees is both confrontive and evasive. If you look in Matthew chapter 23, there's an entire list of woes. Woe to you, Pharisees. And he calls them things like blind guides, hypocrites, unwashed tombs full of dead men's bones. This is not someone who's trying to win points with the Sanhedrin. You understand. In, uh, <clears throat> in Matthew 21, the leaders come to him and ask him under what authority he's speaking. And he says, I'll tell you what. You answer a question, I'll answer a question. Uh, under what authority did John speak? And they go, we can't answer that question because both answers kind of screw us. And he goes, well, and I'm not answering your question either. And he evades them. And you know how many times they want to know if he's a Messiah and he wouldn't give them a straight answer. And so I believe the reason for that is, <coughs> pardon me, that Jesus, uh, as we see in James, resists the proud. And so the Pharisees, almost without exception, came to him in pride to catch him and he would resist them. Uh, but this Pharisee wasn't. This Pharisee comes to him and starts out with, you're a teacher, come from God. And what I want you to see, it's pretty incredible is Jesus answers him, and he is very direct, and he gives him not a key, but the key truth to salvation. The key truth. He just lays it out for this Pharisee. 
And uh, this is really, as we're going to see, this is really just the gospel. Uh, he kind of goes, Nick, what I'm getting ready to tell you is so big, 2,000 years from now, they're going to hold it up in football stadiums all over the world. John 3.16. John 3.16. Right? It's that big a deal. Nick gets John 3.16. Way before football. Okay. So, uh, let's read it. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, <coughs> How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. Now, first, he's given him the key. You have to be born again. Make no mistake about it. This is Jesus, not Tony. Jesus says, you must be born again. He uses the word must. People, you must be born again. Are you born again this morning? If you're not, you ought to get born again. Because you must be if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. Now, let's talk more about what that means. This is the key truth. Now, what I love is Jesus is talking to an expert in the law. And he skips it all. I'm sure Nicodemus was coming saying, hey, uh, you're a teacher. I'm ready to talk about some aspects of the law with you. This is going to be great. And he goes, Nick, you got to be born again. And Nick's going, crap, I got nothing on born again. What are we talking about? I mean, he's blowing his mind. This is all new. And then, remember, we've talked about this before. Israel is waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them from their enemies, deliver them from Rome. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. I, I was going to talk to you about the kingdom of Israel. I was thinking the Messiah thing maybe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kingdom of God, born again. Bigger than you think, Nick. With me? So he goes right to this and just immediately blows Nick's mind. Nick, uh, really impressive teacher of teachers, uh, is immediately thrown off balance and goes, I don't know what we're talking about. And it's pretty much what he said. He doesn't understand. And <clears throat> here's what I want you to see. In not understanding, he immediately grasps for a natural explanation, right? He goes, look, uh, I don't understand. I'm doing the physic here of uh, how grown man gets back into a womb and gets born again, and the math is not working out for me. Can you show me the math on this? Right? Really. He's, he's going, he, his only recourse is to look in the natural and go, what are you talking about? This doesn't make sense. And so Jesus is going to tell him. But I want you to catch, because uh, we are more like Nick than we realize sometimes. I want you to catch how quickly uh, he takes something that is obviously a spiritual lesson and tries to interpret it in a natural way. Because uh, we get caught in this trap a lot. I know I do. So, uh, Jesus is going to explain it to him now <clears throat> in verses 5 through 8. So, Nick says, I don't get it. I don't get how I can be born again. And Jesus says this. Listen closely. This is the crux of what we're after Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? So Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth. He's going, forget doing the math on the natural rebirth, Nick. It won't work. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth here. So it's something entirely different. We talked about this before in <clears throat> chapters 1 and 2. Right? Uh, now, in John chapter 1, remember, uh, <coughs> pardon me, I saw that little tickle going on. Uh, in John chapter 1, uh, John says, hey, I baptize with water for repentance. So water baptism is about cleansing, about repentance, 
And they understood that. They got that. That's natural. As uh, was pointed out in the video, they had the mikvah where they would do a ceremonial cleansing before they came to offer their sacrifices. They understood that. But remember uh, in John 1, 29 through 34, he goes on and says, but the one that comes after me is greater than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? And this has never happened before. This is brand new. And so uh, probably Nicodemus was aware of John the Baptist's teaching. I don't know. But when he says in verse 5, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he's talking about water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. You need to be baptized with water, but that's not enough. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's trying to explain this to Nick. Now remember, <clears throat> I just want to bring to mind a couple things we talked about in chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to keep them in the forefront of your memory. Remember, we learned that God's Son became man. Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of man specifically to make us sons, not just to save us, not just a way, a way to heaven, but to invite us into the Godhead, to be accepted in the Beloved, to make us sons and daughters, you remember. And we read in uh, Galatians 4, 6, where Paul says, because we are sons, we can receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, because we have been adopted into the family, we get the family spirit, Right? So that was the key truth that John's been emphasizing all along that Nicodemus doesn't get that he needs to get. And so uh, Jesus is saying here, <coughs> you have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again. Yet it's not a physical rebirth. It's a rebirth of your spirit man. We're going to see in a minute, his spirit man was dead. And it needed to be brought to life by the Spirit of God, by becoming a son. Now, I want to talk a minute about what it means to be born of the Spirit. We understand that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that you receive His Holy Spirit, that you were dead in sin and trespasses, we'll read that later, and He made you alive by His Spirit coming into you and causing your spirit man to live, right? But I don't know that we, again, uh, often understand that beyond an intellectual level. Well, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and because I have the Holy Spirit in me, it's like when I go to heaven, there'll be a scanner, and I'll go through, and they'll look, and if they see the Holy Spirit in there, I get to go in. <clears throat> if they don't, I'm screwed. But it's more than this, right? It's not just your pass to heaven. It's not just a mark that allows you to enter the kingdom of God. It's much, much more. In fact, he describes the Spirit like wind, and he says, uh, everyone who is born of the Spirit, is like this, is like wind. Now, I've said this in the past. We want to be, uh, we talk about being led by the Spirit, and uh, that's what Romans 8.14 says. It says that as many as are led by the Word of God, these are sons of God, right? Oh, it doesn't say that? You ever heard that saying, you know, Father, Son, Holy Book? Now, I'm not putting down the Word of God. We need the Word of God. But those are parameters. There's a lot more. Uh, for example, we had a little wind of the Spirit activity in that testimony about having Abigail. Uh, now, there's, you know, there's all kinds of things in the Bible about what to do to have a baby. Uh, but coming to a worship service and singing and Abigail and the name and all that, all that wind stuff, none of that's covered in the Scriptures. That was beyond that, wasn't it? All right? So I want you to get this when he's talking about being led by the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. These are daughters of God. These are the children, not just the ones who follow the rules, but the ones who actually come into relationship, who are led by the Spirit of God, who are partnering uh, with the wind of God, uh, so to speak, <clears throat> and have graduated from the rules. The rules don't go away. We just graduate from the rules to relationship. Within the parameters of those rules of the Scripture, we have relationship. We can do more. And so we often want to think of, I think sometimes we want to think of being led by the Spirit the same way Siri leads me to an address. Turn right in 400 feet. Go straight for three miles. You know, wouldn't that be great? 
keep your job for the next three months. <laughs> Turn to this job in 400 feet. Right? And we look for that to be, and, and it's not like following directions and making turns. It's, the, it's like learning how to sail a boat. It's, you're going this way, and hey, we were doing great. Where'd the wind go? Oh, the wind's over there. Right? I was uh, a high school teacher uh, 36 years ago, and all of a sudden I was a youth pastor. I had no training to be a youth pastor. None. Why am I a youth pastor? Because the wind went that way. And my boat went that way because I was partnered with the wind. Right? So I want us to get this because uh, this is going to be tough for Nick. Right? Is it tough for us sometimes to partner with the wind? All right? So that's what he's saying. He's saying this is what it's like. And uh, you're going to be now led by the unseen. I love being led by the scriptures. I can read them. A lot of the times I can figure out what they're saying and I can be led by those. There are many circumstances in my life where I have a lot of room between the scriptures to make decisions, like where I'm going to work. And uh, that's where the spirit leading is different, right? I'm being led by the unseen. I'm having to trust my spiritual senses. <clears throat> so this gets interesting. Um, in fact, uh, well, <coughs> getting ahead of myself, so let me read the next passage. Because uh, let's see how this hits Nick. I want to read verses 9 through 12, because uh, Nick has a hard time with this. All right? And maybe you're with Nick. I'm with Nick. All right. Nicodemus answers him and said to him, how can these things be? I don't get it. I don't get it. What are you talking about? Uh, this, this Holy Spirit... You win stuff, what, what? I, came, I was going to have a good debate on the law, and now we're talking about wind. I don't understand. Jesus answered to him and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Ooh. Most assuredly, I say to you, we. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus starts kind of using the royal we there. <laughs> Who's we? He's giving him a hint. We. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and me are talking now, right? We, I lost my place, where is he? There he is. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, uh, let's see, where do I want to stop? That's where I want to stop. Okay, so let's stop there. So first of all, uh, Nick doesn't get it, right? And, and God goes, yeah, I know you don't get it. And he begins to hint at why Nick doesn't get it. He's going, Nick, I'm talking about heavenly things, and you're having a hard time with earthly things, all right? Uh, what comes with being born again, receiving the Spirit of God, is access to heavenly things. Up until now... Nick is, God worried about heavenly things, Nick worried about earthly things, and God occasionally intervened in the earthly things. Nick would ask God to intervene in the earthly things. Nick didn't worry about heavenly things. Now, God's saying, we're going to have to understand heavenly things if you're going to be a son, if you're going to have my spirit. And so Nick is reaching what I call the limitation of intellect. Please pay attention to this, especially if you're smart. The limitation of intellect. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? Uh, can anyone here speak in a language they don't understand, uh, but do it regularly and feel the presence of God? Doesn't that sound just a little bit foolish? Doesn't it? It is. To the natural man, that is idiotic. And yet, God does that. He did it on Pentecost, and he still does it. Right? You understand what I'm saying? So Nick is coming up against the limitation of intellect. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's challenging. It's hard. Uh, I, 
I totally get this uh, because, uh, now I'm not saying I have a prodigious intellect, but I, 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 am, I have a degree in physics with a minor in math, which means I am super analytical and I want to understand stuff. And so I, I totally get where Nick's coming from. I, to this day, uh, sometimes have trouble uh, processing spiritual stuff because I want to process it with my intellect. And it doesn't make sense. Right? At one time, when I first started, this is a long time ago, I first started tithing. I spent two hours because I had a, a, a budget and I had enough money at the end of the month to eat or tithe, not both. And I decided, God, I'm just going to by faith tithe and see what you do. And I thought more money would come in somehow. Well, no, more money didn't come in somehow. Um, but I got to the end of the month and I tithed and I had food. And I, I'm, I'm not kidding you guys. I, I, I got a minor in math. I'm pretty good. I spent two hours going over my checkbook and my budget trying to find the error. And finally just quit and go, I don't understand. The math doesn't always work. Right? So I kept tithing. Um, <clears throat> my point is, we come up against this limitation of intellect. Uh, in what's really going on here, uh, Jesus is saying, we know we, God the Father, God the Son, me, we know and are revealing heavenly or spiritual things to you, Nick. We're revealing heavenly spiritual things to you, Nick. Nick, understand, remember in, in uh, John 1, where Jesus described himself in the same terms that Joshua described the gate of heaven that he saw, remember? Or not Joshua, Jacob, described the gate of heaven, angels ascending and descending. He's going, Nick, uh, I'm, I'm the connection to heaven. I'm the gate of heaven. Uh, now the Holy Spirit can come and be in people. Nick, you're going to see heaven come to earth a lot more in the future. You're going to have to learn to discern heavenly things and not just natural things. The law is not going to be enough, Nick. You're going to have to have my spirit. You're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be able to discern the flow of the spirit of God. Because... I've now made a connection between heaven and earth with, my, with the cross is going to do that. And heaven's going to start impacting earth in a much more significant way. And you're going to need to be able to keep up. This is what Chris kept talking about, Hebrews 5.14, how we have our spiritual senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How with practice we learn how to do this. So I am by nature, by my bent, I'm a Nick. I'm an analytical kind of guy. And I've had to learn to uh, practice my spiritual senses to discern those things. Now, I don't, I'm not giving up on understanding or analytics. I like those things. Uh, they're just not my only tools anymore. I have some spiritual tools now. I have some spiritual senses I can employ. And I'm trying to learn how to do each. And I can still get caught in Nick's trap of intellectualizing something that is spiritual. You understand what I'm saying? And so this thing of walking in the Spirit is more than we realize, I think. It's, it's a partnering with the wind. And that's what God is calling Nick to. Are you with me? All right, let's move on because I'm taking way longer than I thought I would. Okay, now in the next few verses, Jesus, this is awesome. He just gives Nick the gospel flat out, super clear. Now in hindsight, because we see the cross and understand everything, we can see it clearly. Nick would not have seen it quite as clearly at that point. But I think he did by the end because he showed up to help bury Jesus. So uh, this is just the gospel. Verse 13, 14, and 15. I'm just going to take these together. Uh, <clears throat> he says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Who is he talking about? Himself. God, Son of Man, Son of God. He would use Son of God in verse 16. Came down from heaven to earth. Uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, or in the first chapter of John, how uh, the, uh, the Logos manifests himself. God became man and dwelt among us, right? So he's given the first key point of the gospel. Uh, verse 14, and as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's going to be the cross. We'll get back to that. And then verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Faith. 
So it's very simple. In three verses, he gives him the gospel. First, the Son of Man, Son of God, came from heaven. You understand? This is God, his Son, on earth, talking to you now, Nick. And then he goes to, verse 14, the cross. He talks about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. This comes out of Numbers 21, where uh, the Israelites were complaining, because that's what they like to do. And they would do it a lot, and every once in a while, God would spank them. And so this time, he was spanking them with fiery serpents that were, they complained, and fiery serpents came into the camp and were biting people, and people were dying. And so they went to Moses and said, Moses, you got to do something. Fiery servants are biting us and we're dying. And Moses prays and God tells him to do this. And he makes a bronze image of a serpent on a pole and holds it up. The, uh, what's it called? Caduceus. The, you see it on every ambulance that goes by now, right? Uh, that's the symbol. Uh, bronze serpent on a pole. And Moses tells him, if you look at this, when you're bitten by the serpent, you won't die. You'll be okay. So they just, all they do is look at it, and, they're, and they live. Anybody seeing a parallel, right? And so Nick would know this story very well. And Jesus says uh, in verse 14, as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's the exact same concept he uses in John 12 when he's talking about his cross. And he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. He's talking about this same thing, like the serpent was lifted up. If, we, if you look to Jesus, you'll be saved, right? And so uh, he's just saying the gospel. Uh, God came to earth and became a man to make us sons. He's going to do that through the cross. And then um, finally, uh, verse 15, that eternal life is by faith alone, right? Uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Which he's saying to a guy who spent his whole life devoted to the law. Saying, from now on, all you have to do is believe in the lifted up one. Just like Moses uh, with the serpents, look to him and you're saved. It's that simple. Now that alone offends our intellect. And I'm telling you, we fall into this trap all the time. I hear Christians all the time fall into this. It goes something like this. We are saved by faith alone. Eternal life by faith alone. By what Jesus did on the cross, right? Does everybody agree with that? Yeah. Okay, anybody run into somebody who will say something like this? Well, well, Pastor, you, you know, I don't feel like I should pray. You should pray because, you know, I just, I just, I just sinned yesterday. And I'm not done feeling guilty about it. And, uh, you know, you probably haven't sinned for a month or so. You pray. All right? I said, well, did you repent? Oh, yeah. Did God forgive you? Oh, yeah. Well, it sounds like your righteousness and mine are exactly equal. The, the month doesn't mean anything. You have the righteousness of Christ through Christ Jesus. And if you repented, you have the righteousness of Christ through Christ Jesus. Oh, well, you don't understand I'm talking about, you know, my, my earthly righteousness because, because uh, you know, it was a big sin. And it was yesterday. And yours are probably little sins. And so you should pray. I don't want to pray. So, oh, you're talking about earthly righteousness. All right. Well, I think we're still equal because from my reading, you on your best day and me on my best day, all of our righteousness are filthy rags. So filthy rags, filthy rags. It sounds like we're equal again. So let's not go on our righteousness. Let's go on the imputed righteousness of Christ. You see how we fall into this nick trap all the time, don't we? That's not intellectually appealing to me. I feel like I want to have something to do with why God loves me. No, he just does. He did, he did before he saved you, while you were yet sinners. You understand? We get caught in this, don't we? Or, well, I know he loves me, but that guy, I mean, I know he's saved, but phew. Really? We do it. Doesn't he have the same righteousness I have in Christ? Isn't he my brother? You understand how easy it is, uh, how much more intellectually satisfying it is to feel like we have something to do with it? Really got to grasp this, guys. 
that it, it's the cross. It's Jesus. That's it. That's it. Amen. That is Amen. it. Amen. Now, that is not a license to sin. Paul addresses that. I do pursue righteousness in my flesh, not because it gains me anything, but because I'm a son of God, and that's what sons of God do. And you're a son or daughter of God, and that's what you do, because I've been called to that, because I love him, and he set me free, and he empowered me, and I can live better. And why wouldn't I want to do that? You understand? Yes, we pursue righteousness, but that's not what saves us. The cross saves us, period. Period. You with me? See how we get caught in this. And so, it's important that we understand the gospel. In fact, it's so important that <clears throat> Jesus repeats it again. He, he gives him the gospel in verse 13, 14, and 15. And then in verse 16 and 17, he repeats it again. Just so we know, super clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And not only does he give us the gospel again, this time he adds the motive. Why would you do this? This is, a, this is a smoking deal for us. All you get out of it is us. Why would you do that? Right? And guess his love. I love the world that much that I gave my son. I don't want to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Now Nick might be thinking, what, what about the kingdom of Israel? What about trampling our enemies and the blood up to the bridles and all that stuff we know is going to happen from Isaiah. And uh, God's going, yeah, as a last resort, I'll do that. But Nick, I'd like, to, I'd like a shot at saving them first. Could we try and save the enemies of Israel before we destroy them? Is that radical? How about you? God, come and judge the earth. Come and judge that wrecking surfer. I'd like to do that. I will do that. At the end of the age, I will come and I will, I will remove everything that hinders love. And I'll deal with people. But would you partner with me? I'd like to try saving them first. I didn't come to condemn the world this time. I came to save it. I love them. I love those arrests. I know you don't love them yet, but I love them. Some of them might get saved. Gospel. We getting it? Simple, but kind of deep. Yeah? All right, let's move on. Now, so he gives us, <clears throat> in verses 16 and 17, the gospel with the motive of love. And then in the remaining verses, verses 19 through 21, he gives us the conditions of salvation. And there are really two. Uh, belief is, really there's one, whoever believes will be saved. But there's evidence of belief. So the second one kind of is tied to the first one. All right? So let's go through this. Verses 19 through 21, he says, um, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Whoever practices evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Now, again, uh, verse 18 makes it very clear that it, it is salvation by faith alone. Faith alone. Faith alone. Doesn't have anything to do with you. It's all Jesus. He did all the heavy lifting. Faith alone. Um, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Couldn't be any clearer. And I want you to see, though, that it is, for those of you who like math, like me, it is very, very, very binary. There are two choices. There is no in-between. There is no gray. There are no many ways. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is either the only way to heaven or an evil liar, and those are your only choices. It is very binary. Acts 4, no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. You understand that. Now, most of you understand that or you wouldn't be here. But sometimes we're tempted because of our human reasoning 
to give a little grace on that to people. Jesus, think about it. Uh, we were dead in sin and trespasses. Amen. And he came. He sent his son. The father sent his son to die in our place, to make the way. What arrogance requires God to make another way? I know you gave us your son, and he died in my place, but I don't like that. Could I have another way to heaven? And God says very lovingly, no. Jesus is the way. Take it or leave it. Right? This is the gospel. He is the way. And so we need to see this. We need to understand this before we get to the second condition. <clears throat> because, uh, and I want to look at a couple other places here where he talks about this. In, um, in John 5, 24, uh, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me, believing the Father, believing Jesus is basically equivalent, uh, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So again, we're not just talking about a better eternity or a worse eternity. We're talking about death and eternal life. Those are the only options. Everyone gets one of those two things, death or eternal life. We uh, pass from death to eternal life, skip judgment, do not, you know. Isn't that awesome? Did you catch that? Yeah. Let me read that again. Shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into eternal life. We skip over judgment and go right to life. Isn't that awesome? That's a good deal. We should not be looking for another deal. <laughs> Ephesians 2, Paul understood this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about being born again. He's going, yeah, Nick, you're alive as a man following the law, doing the best you can to be in a relationship with God, but your spirit man is dead yeah. in sins and trespasses. And I've come to make you a son, to make you, cause your spirit man to come alive, to cause you to be born again in the spirit. Awesome. Simple to understand, somewhat harder to work out. John the Baptist, at the end of John 3.36, we're not going to do the whole chapter, but this last verse we will do. Uh, John the Baptist reiterates this when he says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Again, see how it's very simple. Two things, eternal life, wrath of God. The wrath of God will be poured out on the sons of disobedience on the last day. He's come the first time to redeem, to save, because he doesn't want to pour out his wrath on any of us. But if we persist in having to have our own way and turn from the light, we get the wrath of God. It's very simple. It's not hard to understand, is it? Wrath of God, eternal life. Now, that brings us to the second condition. <clears throat> it says, light came into the world, but men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. Whoever practices evil hates the light, doesn't come to the light, doesn't want his deeds to be exposed. Only those who love the truth come to the light. Right? So it's very simple. It's light came into the world. What are we going to do with it? We have to not only put faith in Jesus, but align with the light. John 10. Most of you know this. Part of the Roman road to salvation. John 10, 9 and 10. Whoever believes that Jesus is Lord and confesses with his mouth shall be saved. So we have to believe, but we have to confess. We have to align ourselves with the light. We have to come into the light. It's not enough just to believe. You know, the demons believe and tremble. We have to believe and then go, yes, I'm going to partner with that. I'm coming into the light. Right? Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 10, 32-33, Jesus says something scary. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. So, we have to believe, and it needs to be public. We have to say, uh, I believe in Jesus, and yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, wherever the disciples are, I'm with them. You understand? So that's the proof, so to speak, of our faith. And it's ironic that he's saying this to Nicodemus, who wanted to have a conversation with him at night, right? 
And he describes himself as the light who's come into the world. And he says, he's basically saying, Nick, at some point, dude, you're going to have to come into the light. You're going to have to confess me. I don't know if Nick ever did. I know he, it looks like he might have. Certainly was there at the burial. No, who knows? I do know us. We have to confess Jesus. And it comes down to, do we love truth or do we love our evil deeds? All right, now, don't get too hung up on evil deeds. Uh, let's use the word lifestyle. Uh, it might, you might just be love that you get to be a jerk every now and then and don't want to give that up. All right? I kind of like complaining. God doesn't. I'm working on that. Complaining's fun, isn't it? What's the point of suffering if you can't complain about it? So, when God puts his finger on that, I have to decide, am I going to bring that into the light, or do I love that? Those are just little things. Maybe there's big things. I was 22 years old, had just graduated from college, uh, when someone got me to read Josh McDowell's More Than a Carpenter, and I went, well, dang it, it appears that Jesus is everything he says he is, and it's his game, and I'm going to have to play by his rules. Now, I took three weeks to decide to give my life to Jesus and be saved. You know why? It's very simple. There were things in my lifestyle I did not want to quit doing. And I, I kind of instinctively knew it was an all or none deal. So to use this passage, I spent three weeks hovering in the darkness, looking at the light, deciding whether I wanted to go into the light or not. You know what finally made up my mind? When I thought about going back to my lifestyle, I realized I could no longer comfortably do it because I knew too much. I knew I'd be judged for it. And so I just went, I better go for it then. Amen. So I decided after three weeks, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I had to decide, do I want truth or my lifestyle? Guys, there are people all over the world making those decisions today, have to make that decision. God or my lifestyle. We don't get to mix them. All right, now God will be patient. He will decide what he wants to work on. You don't have to, you know, overcome everything wrong in your life the day after you're saved. In fact, you won't. If that's your goal, you're going to be really disappointed because God will use it to work on character and issues and all that stuff. But we have to agree step into the light and go, you're Lord, I'm partnering with you, I want to be born again, I want to be led by your spirit now and not my desires, not my lifestyle, because they haven't got me anywhere. Or there, there are people who are believers who confess Jesus, but still want to hang on to a lifestyle that isn't Jesus. Lots of them. I know you can think of some, but it's not just the big bad ones, lots of little ones. Right? Even though we all read in the scriptures that whoever wants to be his disciple has to deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. That we die to live for Christ. We all read that. And it's a good deal. I don't regret at all the lifestyle I gave up in 1988 to choose Jesus. No, I'm sorry, 1983. 83. I was... That pastor here in 88, it probably should have been saved before that. Um, <laughs> 1983, I don't regret the lifestyle I gave up. It took me three weeks to decide to do it. I don't miss it. This is better. Any lifestyle is inferior to the one that God gives in Christ. So let's sum up. What, we, uh, what we've learned. Beginning, we need to believe, right? We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, come to earth, died on the cross for our sins. We need to believe that. We need to be baptized. It is simultaneously for cleansing, for washing away our sin, now, really, what washes away our sin is the blood of Jesus, paid for on the cross, but it's, it's symbolic of that. 
but it also is our public confession. That's why we have people out there when we do it. It's a public attestation that I'm identifying with Christ. My old man is going under. I'm coming up a new man in Christ. And we have to be born again. We have to receive the Spirit of God. I would recommend to you that you don't just receive a token, go through the scanner Spirit of God, that you receive the full Spirit of God that empowers you to live a godly life, to overcome, to be a son or daughter of God, to live like a son or daughter of God. Doesn't mean there aren't going to be struggles and failures and needs to ask God to forgive you and to rely on the imputed righteousness of Christ. All those things are going to happen. But you have to decide, am I going to go all in? Am I going to partner with God? Am I going to choose to walk by faith? Am I going to partner with the wind that can take me anywhere at any moment? And I have to learn how to hear it. I have to learn how to set my sail and catch the wind. Am I going to do that? I want to encourage you that Jesus can empower us to overcome any lifestyle, big or small. Big ones are just harder, take longer. But he'll win. Just have to keep going to him. Have to keep going deeper in him. He will give us his spirit. And the biggest hindrance, the biggest difficulty is not understanding. In fact, well, maybe it is. Because it's that tendency to be like Nick and have to process it here. When he wants to do so much here in our spirit, man. And we have to learn to tune to that without throwing that away. Some of you don't throw that away. I still want you guys not to be crazy. But we've got to learn to tune to our spirit man. Is this making sense? Simple gospel takes a lifetime or so to figure out how to do it. But it's real simple, isn't it? All right. So as the band comes up, I just want to say this. We're going to worship a little bit and then turn you loose. If you are not born again today, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must be. That's what Jesus said. So if you want to be born again, we'll have a, maybe we have a couple people from the ministry team up front. Um, now you can just do it in your seat. You can just say, God, I get it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to believe. Uh, you can come be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you can come be baptized on New Year's Eve. And, uh, and, and Lord, fill me with your spirit. I need to receive your spirit. I need to be born again. I need my spirit man to come alive. And I need to surrender to your wind and be led by your spirit. You can do that right there. If you want prayer, you can come up. Somebody will pray for you. If you have questions, uh, they'll be happy to take you off into the north wing there where you can hear better and answer your questions and explain it to you more thoroughly. Uh, but don't leave here. If you're watching online, do it there. Do it at home. You won't see the kingdom of God, unless you're born again. God came to make us sons and daughters, to give us his spirit so that we could live like sons and daughters, to bring us into the family of God fully. Amen?